0: Good morning, Ewan Morrison. Wonderful to speak to you today. The award-winning writer, and you just have this amazing, brand new book out, "How to Survive Everything." How are you today, Ewan?
1: I'm good, Tessa. Thank you for having me back. Uh, yes, my wife, great. my wife, my wife just had the vaccination yesterday, so we're we're we're, we're cur- curiously optimistic about the future, which is great. She's she's doing okay. A bit of a sore yeah. arm, but um,
0: oh, okay. Numb. Yeah. How None about you? Have you had horror
1: signs? Well? Oh, I'm still a young man, so it's a long way off. <laughs> no, no. Um, it'll be, it'll be probably a month or something. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well done on this book, "How to Survive Everything." Can you tell us a little bit about how the idea came about for it, Ewan?
1: Yeah. Sure. Well, the the whole framework for the story is. It's about an average teenage girl who uh, has divorced parents and um, after the divorce, her mother, Justine, um, kind of locked down on the sort of raising the kids safely and, you know, giving them a good middle-class upbringing and giving them limited exposure to their dad. Um, And their their dad on the other uh, extreme, because this was set in 2025, He's become a, a survivalist, or a what would we would call a, a, a pandemic prepper. prepper. So he's one of the he's one of these people um, who are real, um, who are convinced that we're going to have a much bigger pandemic, uh, which is going to come about as a result of all of the scientific research we're now doing into viruses. So he's been preparing a safe a safe house in the in the uh, in the wilderness in Scotland with a bunch of other preppers or survivalists as you would call them and um so he plans and successfully abducts his own children when he believes that the uh, the final civilization ending pandemic has begun leaving the mother behind of course so it's a it's a family drama very fraught and um it came for me originally i started writing this in 2013 um oh. i i I, ha, I had i have still have uh, teenage kids or rather I have one teenager and one who's 22, my son's 22, living in Holland now. Wow. And um, we were, uh, me and their mother were divorced back in 2003 and and we had very different um, parenting techniques. Really? and Parenting ideas, you know, so you have these dreadful things that happen about like food, you know, so one divorced parent will feed the kids this product. You know, meat, for example, and the other one yes. turns vegetarian. vegetarian, or one one's going on a no chocolate diet, and then uh, the kids are having to live with a no chocolate diet, and they go to their dads and they have dad, 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 can we have chocolate? And then it creates conflict mm-hmm. for mother. So I thought, how I, I'm always drawn to ideas that are really huge, but have at the same time really small domestic details that are quite yes, funny. I love about,
0: that. <laughs> yeah, very well observed <laughs> about, about the divorced parent thing. But it was yeah, almost as if you'd, you'd lived through having divorced parents too, but your parents were together, Ewan, for most of your... Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, they were, although I think me and my sister used to have secret meetings in the shed at the bottom of the garden trying to work out ways to get our parents to divorce because yeah. it was a horrible, horrible, horrible marriage in the latter stages. And uh, we oh, lived through... Sorry. So, so um, yeah, just, just very dysfunctional, really. I think when you have creative people... Who feel yes. really blocked, blocked, and blame each other for their lack of um, totally. y- you know, outlets or success or or yeah. uh, or destroying each other's dream. When you have two parents doing that to each other, it's pretty horrible. So um, I yeah, I kind of understood the whole divorce thing early yeah. on as a yeah. human, but um, but um, there's this dark comedy in the whole in the whole situation. I was drawn to the idea of the uh, teenage protagonist Haley being being mm-hmm. like, you know, really uh, more concerned about the fact that mum and dad were going to fight than she is about her dad's belief that there's a, a world-ending pandemic that's begun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she says at one point, Dad, it's really nice that you care and you've abducted us and all that sort of stuff, but can we do your apocalypse next weekend?
0: Yes. You know, she so, to you know, so she's phone and get her hair done and stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah, and see her friends and everything. So I, I, I thought there was an interesting balance between a teenager who just doesn't want to be part of this a this apocalypse story, and B this horrible conflict that's just been kicked off between two parents because they've been ab- abducted. So yeah. she's a kind of she's kind of reluctant um, heroine of the story, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Oh, it's amazing book. It's so interesting that you had the idea before this actual lockdown. And so did did you write it partly during the lockdown of the last year, Ewan?
1: It's really interesting because this was developing for a long time, this one. Um so 2013, my wife and I were um the writers of a television uh Movie called uh, American Blackout.
0: Oh yes, yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've which is a big national, Amazing. big
1: national mm-hmm. ge- Geographic thing, and it kind of became part of the staple of of survivalist movies. It's in, it's in the top ten survivalist movies now in lots of blogs and websites, and we we were given tons and tons of research from um, American agencies and things right. like the Center for collapse for Colli- at Columbia University who knew such a thing existed.
0: Wow, Um, you had a brilliant insight, yeah.
1: This research material and at the time my wife and I were worried more about other um, five different things that can cause civilizational collapse, pandemic, it's just one of them. So we were really concerned about a thing called peak oil which is peak the idea oil, that yes. all yeah. of our oils got. It, it was probably bigger around 2013 14. Yeah. But um, uh, then, about 2018, after I'd written a first draft of the book all about peak oil, uh, you know, a family f- uh, framed by the peak oil collapse, um, then they start finding oil everywhere. I'm finding new ways to make oil. And I thought, oh, damn, my book is completely screwed because you know they've worked out how to make oil from tar sands in Canada. And they've just discovered another 3 billion tons of Venezuela and, oh, well, damn it. So I yeah. kind of put the book to rest for a while. It was only really when the pandemic kicked off that my wife and I went back to this, hold on, uh, 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 civilizational collapse triggers from our research. I was like, well, why don't I reframe the whole book around around a pandemic but one that's worse than the one I'm living through and um, so I rewrote the whole book and I came up with the idea as well then that the book would be done in the form of Haley's Haley's diary, Haley's yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah, Haley's own sort of subjective uh, uh, survival manual. It's a kind of yeah. ironic, um, thing. So the book's called How to Survive Everything, and every entry is like something she's learned as she's gone through this hell of being abducted and then living in a survivalist camp and all the rest of it. So, you know, mm-hmm. how to milk a goat, how to fix a wound, how to, uh, you know, uh, perform perform home surgery. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's, yeah. there's probably about 100 entries in the whole book that are all based around things that she's learning and discovering I, I, it, it actually I wrote it to cheer myself up really during wow. the pandemic to take something really dark and see if I can make myself laugh about it yeah
0: yeah well I was just going to ask you how you coped with the lockdown and uh what what are your tips and suggestions for people for how to cope this is a dark times for sure you know
1: Yeah, yeah. It could have been it have been worse. Um I think we're I think we're coming out of the very worst of it now. Um
0: Good.
1: but certainly if it had if it had, if it had expanded if it had expanded like the nineteen eighteen pandemic, it would have been the pandemic.
0: Yeah. We hadn't
1: had these lockdowns all over the world. Um and we hadn't developed and we hadn't developed the vaccine. I mean fifty we're on 2.4 million just now and um, so so this if this pandemic ends and if it doesn't morph into you know new variants and keep going and going and going then
0: yeah
1: then we'll have got off we'll have got off quite lightly. um but my yeah what do we do well we, we we have a little hideaway place in, uh, okay American in Black. the
0: highlands or or
1: I, yeah yeah it's just by um, a loch side in in and Butte, so it's a quiet little place Lovely. and yeah. um, it's just a sort of safe place to go with a nice little community, mm-hmm. um, very, li- very little contact really with the outside world, very self-contained and so we had a routine where we would get everything we need from a farm once a week. wouldn't go near any shops.
0: Oh wow! Very um, good. Yeah. Wouldn't go. Yeah. Wouldn't
1: go to town, and we developed a, you know, just a very very safe way to live. And there's been lots of people who have actually moved to the islands. Yeah. Um, over the last year, um, hmm. in the attempt to, you know, live off, well, not quite off the grid, but live away from the cities, there has been huge. Flight, folk from London, a lot of them have ended up in Scotland.
0: yeah um,
1: So yeah. we were, So I felt we were. I felt we were quite prepared really, because yeah. we, li- we had that little place. Plus, we had the paranoia that we'd built up from working Previous, on American Black. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Working on American Blackout. So, you know, we had we had our two refrigerators and our fridge freezers and stacked full of stuff, and we had hundreds of cans and
0: yeah.
1: water purification and, and, and all just in case. Because, I mean, really, last March, we didn't know wh- how this was going we to go. We didn't
0: know. You're right. Um, yeah. Very true. It,
1: it, it could have. It could have been much, 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 much worse. So we were. We were pretty much, yeah. prepped for the worst day, um, yeah, or or almost the or almost by no means um, proficient.
0: You spent time in Glasgow as well, kind of during the week. Or are you a few weeks there? how did you do it?
1: Well, we spent almost. We spent almost the whole year um, in our little shack um and then come december just to see the kids we came back to glasgow and now we're stuck here we can't go back we can't we can't go back to our little shack um, really? but it's it's been nice to be in the city with a lot more space though um because our, our little shack is just um it's just one bedroom one room and the one room involves the kitchen as well as a bed you yeah. know it's pretty yeah. it's pretty yeah. it's pretty, ru- pretty rustic and basic
0: yeah. um and you're this both nice. writers because your wife is also a very successful writer and screenwriter, and um, yeah, it must be must be great to have such a um, marvelous connection with somebody like you know who's also your wife. So, do you like hmm. to show her what you've written with your novels as well, or?
1: Well. Um- Emily, just to let people know, she worked on some TV, she was writer on TV series that you might know. Uh, there was one called The Slap, one called Humans.
0: Humans, another one, yeah.
1: Another one called Traitors, which was another Channel 4 thing.
0: Oh, of course, and she, yeah. And
1: she's she's on the new um, Young Elizabeth, which is coming out soon. Um, so it's, it's funny because we do help each other a lot um, in terms of stories and listening to each other's um, rants and complaints about how terrible publishing and working in television is. So we help each other out with that. Yeah, <laughs> I have a
0: there's backup li- help. Yeah.
1: There's lots there's of lo- ups Someone's and downs. Someone
0: who understands.
1: Yeah, yeah and on just on a very basic level, we're two freelancers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've got to the point now where we're probably in our early 50s, we probably couldn't hold down a desk job if if you asked us to. Uh, or even mm. if desk jobs <laughs> continue to exist, um, mm-hmm. but we've we've become very used to the um, supporting each other as as sort as um, freelance writers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and it, you know actually uh, d- you know to t- you know to give you the heads up on this, we actually came up with the story for how to survive everything on a walk. One walk that was several miles um, out. In the countryside you know by our little shack over some hills round through a forest down by the loch side we'd basically come up with the whole plot back in 2003 together and um 2003 or
0: 2013. oh sorry
1: 2013 sorry (laughs) yeah it's easy for me to lose a decade here or there 2013. yeah yeah and um and we were it was it was originally called day one which was a kind of ominous and scary title um and was only last year that I changed the title from day one to how to survive everything um yes it's you know we have a really kind of dynamic um you know I've been helping her with some some Hollywood scripts that she's been writing recently so Mm -hmm. uh, I'm Mr. Mr. structure so I I come in and go oh this bit's a bit slow and where's your where's your where's your and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Who's the bad yeah. guy, really, and all that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, but it's very interesting where ideas do come from, but um, they do say, like, movement from a walk, you know, or maybe from a shower, I don't know, different um, kind of, you need to change out your everyday to get the idea, do you reckon?
1: Totally. You need to, I think, people make the mistake of trying to force out an idea, you know right to yeah squeeze it out it's like getting blood from a stone sometimes and you can have all the rigor and all the discipline in the world and sit down and type for eight hours a day but it might be as you say it's that moment when you let go of your conscious uh, planning of things and let that other part of your brain work the intuitive side the conscious irresponsible daydreamy side mm-hmm. so it can actually be after you've had a day of achieving absolutely nothing. As you say, you can have a shower or go for a walk or sit down with some cocoa or something. And then suddenly you get a flood of ideas and there's no there's no hard and fast rules really as well. And another thing that I, I've done in the past is if I'm really stuck on a bit of writing is I go to bed, I write down a question and I go to bed asking myself, forcing myself to ask the question and I'll see if my dreams can sort it out for me. And wow. on, on a few Good occasions, idea. on a few occasions, in fact, there's one big section in the book, um, which is the home surgery uh, section. Spoiler alert, um, that came from a, um, a dream slash nightmare. Um,
0: wow, excellent! So, so yeah. I
1: think I, I think that came from the question: How can we get everyone to work together? <laughs> wow. And then something truly horrific uh,
0: was yeah. the answer.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Very
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: So I, don't I think, you know, you know so the, this sort of writing they tend to be about discipline, you know. Um, but I think, yes, you have to have the discipline to put the hours in, but at the same time the real writing doesn't come from typing. It's not, you know, as Truman Capote said, there's a difference between writing and typing. Um, <laughs> you, in, yeah, you know, and God knows written by typists these days and not by writers. But um, I think you're right. It, you could be in the shower and have a eureka moment. Ha ha. You know.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh,
0: absolutely. So, uh,
1: yeah. So, yeah. That's and the, the hard craft with the spontaneity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you, and I was just going to ask you do you tend to plan everything out before? you know, the structure and everything before you do the kind of physical writing of it all?
1: Um, I think I plan more than I used to when I'm writing because I, I love, there's a sort of, something I came across with Robert Louis Stevenson used to write all of his books um, in 40 chapters. Ooh. So he'd have like a structure of 40, 40 squares if you like. So I have a board on my wall, there, where I have it's a, it's, a, it's a wipe board and I divide it up eight by five, so I get 40 squares. So I try to tell all my stories in 40 post it notes mm. on 40 squares. And post it notes are disposable, so you can just, yeah, you I'll know, go, ah, throw that one away and I'll do another one, and I'll try this one. But usually, before I kick off on a book these days, I like to have a rough idea of what the 40 mm. um, post it mm-hmm. notes are.
0: Very for the whole, yeah. whole
1: story. But, you know, it's very... Uh, all. But again, all the planning in the world isn't going to make it great. It's got to... A book has to... Like, how to survive everything. Once I'd established the character of Haley as the protagonist. Hayley,
0: she's
1: a, yeah. She's a, a sort of, you know, slightly disrespectful teenager who's super anxious about, you know, being embarrassed about things. Um, you know, even... Uh, you know, the end of the world is just kind of embarrassing. <laughs> you know, um, so so there's a certain point in writing it where I just let her take over. So right. I, had pla- I had my plan. I had my plan. I thought, well, actually, no, Haley's not going to do that. So I'll just go go off track. You know,
0: yeah.
1: um, and there's there's a whole scene and the, there's a whole bunch of scenes in the book where there's a kind of attempt escape in the wilderness, and that was all just I'll just let Haley go daft on that one and and uh so this is sort of attempted escape from the safe house which itself is a kind of paradox because her yeah. father had trapped had trapped her um in this survivalist um hmm. lockdown safe house with you know a razor wire and and bunkers full of food and uh high security and alert systems and all this so to escape with it with her mother um you end up with the curious situation of a bunch of completely unprepared people um, a mother a teenager and a son heading out into the scottish wilderness in late autumn into Mm. into the mountains and uh haley's dawning religion you know they could uh, they could actually die within one night Mm. of hypothermia of getting lost lost of pete and water, all these things
0: yeah yeah it's really mm. interesting and that you're, in- yeah sorry I was just going to ask you what so once you have your plan organized of all your post-it notes do you have a kind of schedule of your best times for writing it's like do you write in the morning or into the night or how do you t- tend to get those words on the page
1: Um, I have to trick myself into doing it properly. So I have to move. I can't, I've never written an entire novel all on the computer or all right. on a laptop or all on note, or, or all on notebooks.
0: have, yeah. So
1: every yeah. time it, be, every time it becomes, every time it becomes too much like a, a procedural thing, I have to trick myself into using a new format. So yeah,
0: I can, I, I get laptop, that totally. Yeah. Yeah, because as soon as it that. starts,
1: as soon as it starts turning into a nine-to-five job, then yeah. you know you're doing something wrong. So, a lot of this book was was um, was written on um, small, very small uh, high school daughters, really, Ooh. really, really quickly. And then, so I would I would I would do that um, at, towards the end of the day when mm-hmm. I'm brightest. And in the morning, I would transcribe it because in very the morning good. I'm a bit slow. So I would be be my own secretary.
0: You know. Yes.
1: And then, yeah. and then, of course, I would, I would let, I would let. I guess the whole thing is creating just enough structure to allow yourself the indulgence of going off the structure. You know, so, mm-hmm. so just enough discipline to allow yourself to have intuition. So even yeah. when I was transcribing Haley and Haley's point of view, um, you know, about mm. being abducted and living living in a survivalist house in the middle of nowhere. I would just go off on things as I was transcribing. It's like, oh, she doesn't like goats. Goats are disgusting. Mm-hmm. And I would go, I, I once milked a goat. And that was one of the most disgusting things I've ever done in my life. I was like, how would a teenage girl deal with having to milk a goat, given that milk, yeah, uh, goat milk smells disgusting. And the teats of a goat are something just beyond disgusting, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, um, I just went off in a huge digression as I was transcribing again I read that back and that's one of the funniest sections.
0: Yeah. Um, wow.
1: And you know, how, in the, in the whole book. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, so I was just going to ask with this method that you were writing in, you, hmm. how long did it take you from, you know, the complete start to finish? How many months, whatever did it take you to write the book?
1: I think, um, there was probably a year and a half, um, spread over months um, after 2013 then i let the book sit for f- quite a few years and then it was written uh, between february and october a total page one rewrite um, last year during the pandemic
0: during um, the time of lockdown yeah, yeah. I,
1: I, and it's just it was so good to actually have something to do to cheer me up and i think the book is darker and funnier as a result yes. of of
0: the times. Me, waking,
1: me waking up every morning, seeing that lots of people were contacting me and going, "Oh, I've got no goals. I don't know what to do. I've got no job." It's like you know, twenty twenty was so hard, and so many people just because they'd lost their routine. And I was like, Where "Okay, else? right. I've got this book. I've got this book to do, so I better bloody well get mm-hmm. to it." And I, I think I yeah. put in about eight hours, eight hours a day of rewriting. And,
0: Fantastic. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And I
1: kind of knew knew when I was doing it right because it would make me, it would make me laugh. Um, so mm-hmm. part yeah. of the whole point of the redoing the book was to see if I could write a very dark book about a pandemic, which would nonetheless make people laugh.
0: Yeah, no, it's ace. So good. Uh, but you do have quite an apocalyptic mind, Ewan. Do, <laughs> do you reckon you're ever going to write like a love story set in Italy or something really <laughs> romantic and easygoing?
1: I don't know. I think there's so many writers who do that really well already.
0: Okay. You know,
1: um, I was a big fan of, of. oh, no, I've forgotten the name of the book now, but it's called, but is it My Perfect Friend or My Beautiful Friend? Um, it, it became, uh, it's set in Naples, which I love as a place.
0: Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And it uh, became a very successful, very well-made TV series. Um, yeah. So, you know i love and read books like that but i i i guess i was because i had such a strange childhood
0: um, yes interesting tell us a bit you know, about it your childhood
1: yeah well d- well I, I i think i was kind of thrown into the apocalyptic mindset at a very early yeah. age by your
0: parents I, I
1: a dad, or a grandpa i had a dad who well yeah my grandmother was 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 a very hard hard-aged um calvinist uh, you know, she'd, she'd had a bit of a hard life herself. She'd been a single mum in the 80s, in the oh, really? 50s, yeah. you know. Wow, well, um, yeah. but, but she'd split up with her husband, who was, a, who was a church minister in the Church of Scotland, because he'd lost his faith. So it was, it was a dreadful split in the family. My dad was very traumatised by
0: that. Oh, sorry. Anyway, yeah.
1: but... So Gran used to have this kind of apocalyptic thing where she was kind of almost looking forward to the day of judgment because uh, everyone was sinners and, and Jesus would return and destroy everyone. And, and she was this sort of mad old lady who lived in the back of our house as my dad, who was the complete opposite, rebelled against her, was, yeah. was a real a real kind of hippie and uh he was known as the the hippie librarian of the north um, yes and didn't walk- he run music
0: festivals as well he, he used dad? to
1: run run music festivals you'd always see him with his long hair and his beard and his like hippie t-shirts and his sandals and he'd be annoying the locals um so he was so anti the church he, he got into the right. trouble with the church yeah. in, um in, in wick because he went around with this head out top of a Volkswagen Beetle, with a with one of those things, what they call a loud loud healer. Yeah,
0: loud healer. Yeah. Speak
1: it, that speak that like amplifies your voice, um, shouting out, "Come and meet the poets in the pub uh, Aww, on a Sunday." So it was amazing! The, it was the it was the Sabbath, so he so he really pissed off the church. But even though, I mean, this is something that, that fascinates me is how like a trauma or a big idea has passed through the generations. So. He even though he rebelled against my apocalyptic grandmother, had he'd taken his own conspiracy theory apocalyptic stuff. Oh really? So yeah. he was he was he was very tied into the whole nuclear apocalypse thing.
0: Of course that generates Yeah.
1: Nineteen seventies and eighties. The fact that we lived on Miles. Um and Oh you June know, Ray. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I became a really early member of of CND, the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, as a kid.
0: Amazing. Um,
1: So, but there were these, there was this amazing footage that got smuggled out of, there's two things, there was the War Game, which was a BBC film, which was made about a nuclear, what what would Britain do in the event of a nuclear war, sort of thing. Yeah. It was a a docudrama, and I, I got shown that by the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament when I was, Eleven. My dad took me along to see it,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's terrifying. And then, the within the same year, um, I think it was 1980, Panorama, the you know the British documentary show, was given um, some videos which had been smuggled out of an archive, a government archive, which were the Protect and Survive videos. 72 minutes of very short instructional videos on what to do in the event of a nuclear war preparations so basically they'd been made by the government interestingly using the same animator that did Crystal Tips and Alistair, if you're old huh. enough to remember that, yeah. um, there were short informational, info, informational documentaries that were supposed to come after the news in the event of a nuclear war, so it's like it would say things like when you hear the nuclear war siren it it will sound a bit like this and then it would play like the siren and like yeah um, um, there's no point running away must take cover inside your houses and things like that so I'd, I'd seen this
0: you're brought up with that amazing yeah.
1: footage i was I was brought up with that and and so you know as a kid um, most most parents a wouldn't let their kids see this stuff and B mm-hmm. wouldn't go along in this sort of collective terror
0: terrifying
1: fear of of nuclear war but my parents being hippies were totally into this and we were we were going to save ourselves from nuclear war so so we actually you know built a little bunker under the stairs following the plans from protect and survive um you know in case of nuclear war so at age 11 i was obsessed with the idea that we were just about to head into a nuclear armageddon um uh, you know it's it was it was something that really hung over our generation but i think um, <laughs> being a kid with an active imagination, I probably took it a little too far.
0: Yeah, incredible. <laughs> I was just going to ask also, Ewan, because you're a multi-talented, creative person, and you originally studied painting. If I'm right, at Glasgow School of Art. Yeah. That's How right. did you then make the change to being such a successful writer? Well, that's
1: a funny. That's a funny question because I I joined the painting department at Glasgow School of Art just at the unfortunate moment where painting had become so incredibly uncool that ev- everybody was giving up painting. E- everyone who was anybody had to give up painting because it was old school. It was reactionary. It was the you know the incoming postmodernists as as being you know really right wing and. You know patriarchal and and how could anyone be a painter it's disgusting you know so (laughs) I had that sort of beaten out of me um by these these theoreticians and polemicists you know these these very very politically motivated people at art school still goes on to this day actually it's probably even worse now than it was so crazy I was a talented and promising wee figurative painter used to paint realistic paintings and I had One of my first portraits was in the uh, annual BP portrait competition in London. I was I was a a runner-up.
0: Portrait of who?
1: It was actually of my weird mum and dad. Okay. (laughs) It was a a double portrait. Yeah.
0: Excellent. And do you still um, paint?
1: No, but I do do little drawings and I do do little photo montages sometimes. And so those really helped me. With this book, actually, um, sometimes, sometimes writers do a bit of secret art making. You know, um, mm-hmm. Victor Hugo, Victor Hugo, who wrote Les Misérables, used to be an incredible watercolorist. He would do these amazing fantasy castle pictures. You know. Yeah. Um, and then in Scotland, you've got, you know, Alistair Gray, when, when I think it... Oh,
0: be- Lanark, yeah. Yeah,
1: I think it began when he had writer's block, he would do these drawings and then they just kind of took over, you know. So he managed, he went to Glasgow School of Art as well, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So did Liz Lockhead. Um, yeah. So there's quite a few of us who ended up writers um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and came, came through the art school thing. But, you know, for me, I'm kind of glad that I did give up painting. Um, really? Even though I'm sad that I tore up and got rid of most of my early paintings that's that no
0: was, way really
1: oh. yeah. yeah no in fact They'd there's one
0: I, valuable now i'm sure
1: There's one i really wish i'd kept because it was a painting that i worked on for 2 years and it was how i taught myself taught myself how to paint and it was of guess what it was of a big nuclear explosion
0: oh my <laughs> oh well so yeah <laughs> there you go Culturally, um, you you are the expression of these these times to Do that, but yeah. you also do film, and that was originally how you'd um, you mo- you moved to New York after Glasgow, mm. didn't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, film. I mean, um, I'm getting back into film again, actually. Um, so, I've just um, well, I kind of had, had bad luck. With, with film when I moved to New York I ended up with um, with a company who promised a lot but who went bust and they and they sort of took my project with them so I came back to Scotland pretty scunnered with the whole film thing and swore I'd never work in film again but here I am um, I've just um, I've just written the uh, script adaptation of the last novel Nina X Um Great. And that's and and that's with a very well respected director so so that'll be um, going out into the world quite soon, I would think. Okay. Um, so uh, it's funny, what goes round comes round. Uh, I think in quite wide terms about what a creative person is these days, I think creative people can move from one, one 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 form to the next.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And Ewan, when you're working on a new book, do you tend to read other writers or No
1: um i would yeah it's an interesting one isn't it i guess one of the dangers of reading other writers is that you end up absorbing them too much so i like to read non fiction when i'm working on fiction
0: Okay, so I,
1: yeah. so I, read, I read around the subject I do research, I read a bit of philosophy It was actually um, Hanif Qureshi Put me onto this um, yes. He said, oh no, no, you can't read fiction When you're writing fiction You'll end up accidentally plagiarising it And it'll, it'll be dreadful it'll be, You'll not be speaking in your own voice Put, put your fiction, all your books of fiction away When you're working on fiction And I, I think it's true Yeah, um, it's, not, it's not actually very helpful To hear someone else's voice Also, if you're reading a really, really good book of fiction, you start to get these terrible doubts about your own abilities. You know, (laughs) or at least I do. Yeah. So,
0: um,
1: yeah. So I was quite lucky in working on how to survive everything. That there are very, very few good books about pandemics or about civilizational collapse. There's a lot of, of kind of like, uh, you know, hey, get your gun and blow them mm. away. Bang, 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 sort of books that are out there. But there's not really any literary fiction, not much. That's probably How I Live Now by Meg Rossoff is probably a, a really good literary
0: yeah. fiction
1: about about civilizational collapse. Um, but I was lucky in a sense that there were not that many books that, that have managed to do that.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, it's so very that, unique. And, so, that,
1: it's, yeah. so that kept me safe, yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. I was just going to ask, you, Ewan, um, what do you love most about writing?
1: Oh, a uh, thing I discovered recently, it actually has a name now. So people call it the flow state.
0: So okay, the, yeah.
1: So so the flow state can happen to anybody. It can happen when you're building a wall or doing the ironing or working on computer programming or, you know, creating a perfume or, you know, uh, demolishing a building. You know, in the flow state, you're not conscious of time. Yes. And, and most importantly, you're not conscious of ego and how people see you. Or the you. world around, yeah. Yeah. You, you're not. I think for writers, the main barrier is getting past self-conscious anxiety about how what you're doing is going to be perceived. You know, okay. I'll give you an. I'll give you an example of this. My mum used to be a very fine watercolourist when she was young, but since then she's become overly critical and self-judging.
0: Yeah. So self so is the worst judge. The
1: self is dreadful. So she starts to paint these watercolors, and then she goes, "Oh, that's terrible." And then she goes beyond that. She goes, "I'm terrible. I'll never paint anything." And she tears them up. Um, so this, so when you're in the flow state, that horrible, nasty judge that says mm. you're worthless, this is terrible, this'll never be anything,
0: yes, that exactly.
1: that horror, that horrible bugger just vanishes completely. And you mm-hmm. can do, any, you can really have a lot of freedom in the flow state. So that's what to aim for. Um,
0: Excellent, yeah, mm. that's really good. And any other tips for people who are interested in writing or painting, or what's your advice, kind of, in this pandemic time?
1: I think don't think don't think about what the market wants.
0: Mm-hmm. Good advice.
1: Don't think for a second, oh, people need cheering up. I'll have to write uh, this, that, or next thing. Don't think, oh, people need a thriller or people need fantasy. I'll do that. Um, you'll always be chasing something that's already gone by the time you get there. Yes. And, and also you're not writing. If you're following a trend like that, you're not writing from from your core, you know, you're not writing from inside yourself. You're, you, you, I, The worst you could end up thinking. Hmm. I wonder if I could make this sentence a bit more like the kind of sentences that sell, <laughs> that sell books, you know, or or that will be appreciated. Or mm, I wonder if that paragraph is really for the a big market, you know. Uh, and before you know, you're 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 second guessing and it's dreadful. So the only advice I'd ever give anyone writing. Um, any kind of fiction, is do a bit of work on yourself and what your obsessions are and what are your lifelong obsessions.
0: What yeah, are the things that, your passions.
1: What, what are the things that, that fire you up, your passions, but also try to work out your biggest recurring fear and problem and try to explore it. I think I've been working out the whole question of being a cultural outsider and not fitting in I've been working that yeah. out through eight through eight through eight books now. it's it's been it's all different manifestations of that thing. How can I fit in? How can I take part? Why don't I fit in with the rest of the world? Why do I fit other people
0: that? would would imagine that you do really fit in, and you know, <laughs> you are your very successful author, and you know you you're so prolific. and other people would would probably imagine that you are, Completely happy about your position on that, but I guess everyone's different.
1: It's funny. I mean, people's own interpretation of who they are is so weirdly different from the way other people perceive them.
0: Uh-huh. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you ever read any self-help books, or do are there any that you recommend at all?
1: Oh, actually, there are.
0: <laughs> um
1: I would throw everything away that was written in the last 200 years right. and I would go back to the writings of the Stoics, which was the Roman, late Greek and early Roman um, philosophers. And, yeah,
0: uh, I mean they, they are, <laughs> they knew a thing they, or two. <laughs> they,
1: re- they really did and you know so so that main thing that you know don't, so the main tip from the Stoics is if there's an event that you can't influence the outcome, Yeah. don't worry, don't worry about it. Just yeah. stop, stop fussing, stop worrying. So basically, the Stoics said, A, life is gonna be tough. There's not gonna be a fix for it. Believing in yourself is not gonna really help that much. It's like, you should get into the habit of expecting outcomes not to go the way that you want them to, and sure. getting a bit tough, mm-hmm. and not most of all not being on the emotional roller, roller coaster of just reacting to the world as it happens
0: exactly
1: yeah so you've got to try to to keep a keep on a narrow path of constancy and self-care and self-respect and don't let other people put you down or Influence distract you, you. Yes. or distract you or don't just be reacting to other people all the time. That's the way to mm. sanity.
0: That's I, very good advice, yeah.
1: So, I mean, there was there was a guy called Epictetus and uh, Seneca is probably more Seneca, more yes, fam- I love him. It's probably more famous and their writings are just superb. And yeah. Written in small... Oh, of course, Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome as well, okay. was another great another great stoic, um, and his his uh, his book of meditations is superb, written in the last seven years of his life as Roman emperor. Um, and you think, oh, he's an emperor, he's just got no problems at all, you know, he's, he's the top of the world, literally he was. But he, he, you know, he writes, you know, beware of people who, who are suddenly your friends, and take time every day to to, to just commune with yourself.
0: Yes. You know,
1: make sure that people who flatter you are, are you know, treated with scepticism. He, he These amazing notes to himself. Um, so, uh, you know, it's possible that
0: the, em- mm. that the
1: emperor of Rome at the time wrote the best self-help book ever.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant.
1: <laughs> and
0: um, just a final questions, Ewan, because I want to keep you... Um, too long is would you say you have any favorite writers for the recent more and more recent years?
1: It's always tricky that question. Um I'll have to go over to my bookshelf.
0: <laughs> Great. Mm-hmm. Or favorite books just could recommend.
1: uh. uh, uh, uh. Well, I, um, I have two specific sections in my large bookshelf. One is for all the books by Don DeLillo. And yeah. the other one is all, all the books by the great French cynic Michel Welbeck. And somewhere oh, yes. <laughs> somewhere between that very quiet man and that very controversial man is probably where I sit. Um so those are two huge influences. Also, I love Dostoevsky, the Russian author. Right,
0: yeah.
1: Crime and Punishment, the Brothers Karamazov. It's sort of deep and quite f- strangely funny books as well. Yeah. But um, in, terms of, in terms of recent reads, just have a look. Because, you see, this is the thing I've been writing all year, so I haven't read much fiction. Yeah. Because that's my rule, don't read fiction when you're writing yeah um, oh I, okay well this is not quite on message but if, quite a few years ago there was a booker prize winner called white tiger
0: oh um, white tiger yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, and it's just the been made into the movie it's been made into a film and the film's superb and it the reminded me of how, great yeah.
0: it reminded
1: me reminded me of how good the book was so i started rereading that again
0: ah oh and that's a great recommendation i'm gonna read mm, that thank you
1: it's so dark and funny. Again, it's from the perspective, it's from the unique perspective of a very cynical person.
0: Is, um, he's, yeah. he's,
1: he's nonetheless a bit of a maverick. I love those stories um, yeah. where, where, Brilliant. You're inside, where you're inside the head of an eccentric protagonist. Yeah. Yeah?
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ewan. Marvelously, this book. I do love um, Nina Rex, totally one of my favorites. So excited to hear that's going to be possibly a movie. Now you said also.
1: Yep, yep. We're but that's a whole different world. Is the world of film production, and I have to keep myself away from those aspects okay. of mm-hmm. things so I can keep on keep, writing books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's in the hands of the gods.
0: As uh, okay. Saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Really brilliant to chat with you, and yeah, hopefully. We'll be able to chat again soon. We must come on again soon. And uh, I've
1: actually got a, I've actually got a question for you, if that's okay.
0: Please, no one ever asks me the questions. Oh, great, great.
1: <laughs> no, I was just I was just wanting to see um, what you thought of the family. Um, we thought of the family structure, the family setup, and how to survive everything. It's 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 the a, dynamic.
0: Um, yeah, it's
1: a very modern family with a very modern set of problems.
0: Yeah, well I thought in a way it's quite reflective of way the way families are nowadays, you know, and the way that, you know, the daughter, she didn't want to upset either parent by wearing this or wearing that. And I felt a lot it's very similar to the way my daughter can be because she's very sensitive to her father not seeing him very often now in the pandemic. She's hardly seen him at all over a year because he lived in mm, London, mm. always travelling back and forth to mm. New York. So, yeah, I, I thought they were very, very well um, reflected, the, the family, um, really. So, you know, it's... Um, but I think the voice of Haley, that is really, that's really the best. I mean, how did you, how did you get into the teenage mind so well?
1: It's funny, though, because... I um, I didn't want to do like a exact transposition of my kids to the characters in the book. So I've got an older son, and a younger daughter. So I flipped it and I made a very young son and an older daughter. And then I guess I put a bit of my own teenage uh, memories of being a teenager myself into my observation of my daughter and her friends and the things, the, the weird language that they use because they're, they're the Zoomer generation, generation. Generation yeah. Z, Z, and they're yeah. all they're phone, phone addicted and and, and acronym obsessed.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: you know they actually see things like "Oh mag," and you're like "Oh mag," like, "Oh my actual god," you know. All right, oh
0: my <laughs>
1: <actual>. <laughs> And they're always the specific specific things that they insert into language. So they're always saying mm. "actual" and "total," you know.
0: Yeah, so,
1: yeah. That's... So we, they would oh, say that.
0: They say a lot of that,
1: don't they? Weep. yeah, yeah. And there's and there's, there's 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 lit and chill as well. Chill's a new mm. thing as well. Just chill. Yeah. We're like I'm like, what is this? The '60s, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's yeah. there's all this unique language that they have. So I, yeah, I can, I kind of wrote down like a little lexicon, a little dictionary of all the strange
0: mm-hmm.
1: things that 16, 15, 16 year olds say. And um, I just I dug into the main paranoia of that time yeah which is which is where do I fit in with everybody and am I gonna offend people and what do they think of me you know yeah. am I you know uh and also having divorced parents it's like can I just avoid all conflict please leave me alone I don't want your shit don't yeah. want your shit you know yeah, exactly. um so um that really and I, I gave her the problem I had as a teenager was I couldn't stand making decisions. Mm, so, I, yeah. oh. It's so oppressive when mm-hmm. you're a teenager, you know. Someone so says, "Yeah," uh, especially as a divorced kid, you know. It's like the question asked by the mum, you know. Do you want to go and see your dad this weekend, or do you want to come and watch a movie with me and bake some
0: cake? You mm, I know? know, it's too uh, it's hard. Like, yeah, it's
1: like that that kind of coercion, yeah. you know, yeah. and. And the father in the book sat it as well. He goes, "Well, do you want to go back to your mum's at the right time, or do you want to come and have a secret burger with me?" Yeah. So
0: very clever.
1: The poor kids just caught in the middle of this. um, Mm.
0: um, Yeah.
1: Parents, parents trying to uh, one up each other. You know.
0: True. Yeah. Uh,
1: um, So, so I guess Haley, Haley developed. uh, um, You know, she says, Mm. she says in the book, "I'm, I'm a bit Hamlet-ish. You know, a bit like Mm. Hamlet." keep procrastinating can't make decisions so i just thought yeah that's the essence of the book it's about haley's decision the whole thing
0: amazing oh well thank you so much ewan and uh yeah wish wish you all the best on the next one and um hopefully we might meet in the real world one of these days
1: that would be really nice yes get a real
0: coffee somewhere would be fun (laughs)
1: seems like it seems like a lifetime ago doesn't it
0: yeah i know well thank you so much Cheers and Tessa. Welcome.